In football, they call it the immaculate deflection. It's the 1983 Egg Bowl between Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Mississippi State has taken a 17-point lead, but Ole Miss has come back in the fourth quarter and with a field goal has gone ahead by a single point. Now, Mississippi State gets one last drive to try and win the game. They bring the ball down to the 27-yard line of Ole Miss. It's a chip shot field goal. Artie Cosby freshman kicker who's made dozens of these kicks all season long, trots onto the field to attempt what they called a chip shot. As he kicked the ball straight through the uprights with plenty of distance, just before the ball touched the or got close to the uprights, suddenly, out of nowhere, a 40-mile-per-hour wind came from the side and suspended the football so it could not go through the uprights and then pushed it to the left. Watch this. With the ball squarely in the middle of the field, State needs a chip shot to win the game. The dogs elect to try it on third down. Into the stiff win, Artie Cosby, the freshman from Starkville, on to try the 26-yard field goal. His kick goes straight up and straight down. Stopped by a mighty gust of wind, the ball seemed to spin as if on a pinwheel. No good. Billy Brewer had called timeout prior to the kick. Was it to ice Cosby or to wait for the gust of wind? That has got to be the best moment of your life or the worst moment of your life. If you are a Mississippi State fan, I am so sorry for reliving that past. The coach of Ole Miss called it a miracle. He said, somebody pushed that ball to the left and it wasn't any of our players. The coach of Mississippi State, well, he called it character building which is a nice way of saying we got beat by a con something that was out of our control. The power of the wind, it is unpredictable, uncontrollable, undeniable, unstoppable. Sometimes it just blows steady, imperceptibly shaping the landscape, carving out the ground like the badlands. Other times it comes suddenly off of the sea and it comes in strong gusts and violently rearranges the landscape as in the coastline near the Atlantic Ocean. The wind is powerful. The Bible says that the wind comes from God. Once in the Psalms and twice in Jeremiah, they write, it is out of his storehouse that the winds proceed and they go where he sends them. So it was the wind that pushed the water back in Noah's day until the water receded. It was the wind that stood the sea up on a wall so that the Israelites could walk through. It was the wind that blew over a valley of dead, dry bones until they came to life and stood up in the words of Ezekiel like a mighty army. What kind of man is this, the disciples said of Jesus, that even the winds obey him? Well, they knew that no one but 
God could control the wind and the wind had a mind of its own. It was bigger than you were and higher than you were and it always had its way. Now, Jesus said that the spirit is like the wind. Speaking to Nicodemus in John 3, 8, he said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You can hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is unpredictable, uncontrollable, undeniable, unstoppable. Sometimes he moves in just steady patterns soothing and shaping things, making them more beautiful. As when he came upon Bezalel and Aholiab and they used their skills to build the temple. Sometimes the wind or the spirit comes in strong gusts and it overpowers a person until they do things that are violent and destructive as when he came upon Samson and in the power of the spirit, he literally tore a lion limb from limb. In the power of the spirit, he killed three men, then later took the jawbone of a donkey and in the power of the spirit, killed a thousand more. The spirit is that way. We've domesticated him, tamed him, moved him inside of a person. So he was always under that person's control. But Jesus says, this is not the way that the spirit is at all. The spirit has a mind of his own. You can't tell where he comes from or where he's going. You can just see the effect of him. You can feel him, but you can't touch him and you can't control him. Now, all of this adds wonderful imagery to the phrase of Luke in Luke chapter four that says, then Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power of the wind. Then Jesus went into the synagogue and he opened the scroll to Isaiah 61 and he read, the wind of God is upon me because the wind has anointed me. In other words, the wind is to my back. Therefore, everything that he sets out to do will be done either gradually or suddenly because you just can't beat the wind. Now, when you remember that the reason the Spirit came is so that mortals like us can actually participate in the work of God. In other words, what the Spirit did for Jesus Christ he is also doing in us. In other words, Jesus is not only the standard, he's the prototype. He's the first of many 
who will come after him, who will be filled with the same spirit and perform the same kinds of things. It overwhelms you. At first, you don't think it's true. But Paul says it is. Jesus says it is. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses all over the world. And Paul prayed that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened in Ephesians chapter 1 so that we may know the greatness of his power that is at work within us. And in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or even imagine according to the power that is at work within us. Paul said that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of Power. And so he told the church in Thessalonica, when I preached to you, I did not come with words. I came with power. And he told the church in Corinth that there was a difference between words of human wisdom and words that came from the demonstration of the Spirit's power. They were different, he said. And Paul said, I come in the power of the Spirit. I come with the wind to my back. The power of the wind. Does it seem to you like your life is that powerful? Does your life seem more like talk or more like power? Too much of my life is ordinary, routine, nothing extraordinary at all. And too much of the time, I cannot see what I'm doing. I wonder if I'm doing anything at all. But there have been times, you guys, in my life when I have sensed the wind of God was to my back. And in, in, in moments like that, I'm, I'm better than I am. I, there is a tremendous amount of freedom and latitude in what I am doing. I never know what's going to happen. And yet I'm not afraid. I'm not unsure of myself. I feel strangely confident, but the confidence is not rooted in me because I can sense that something is happening like a gust of wind in that moment that's just lifting my work to another level. I always remember it afterwards. It always leaves an imprint on the people that I'm with. Uh, and it leaves an imprint on me. And so like you, the first thing I do is I try to figure out how that happened so that I can repeat the process. If I can figure out the secret code, then I can just wield this power whenever I want. I could live in it 24-7. Imagine the things I could do. But when I remember that the spirit like wind is unpredictable and uncontrollable, I find myself wondering how can I find a pattern 
when he has a mind of his own, how do I learn to harness the wind when it is blowing in sudden gusts? And then a metaphor struck me. When's the last time you flew a kite? There's something exhilarating about standing on the ground and holding on to something that is being driven by a power that is invisible. And it's way over your head. It's bigger than you. You never really fly the kite. The wind doesn't really fly the kite. Without you, it would just blow away. And so together with the wind on one end and you on the other, the two of you work together to steer or fly the kite. And you never fly every kite the same. You fly a kite according to how it was made. So when you make them, you make them with flying in mind. You know how you want them to elevate and what you want them to do. And once they elevate, you remember how you made them so that you fly each kite according to how it was designed. If you're looking for something to teach your kids today or anyone else, how we harness the power of the Spirit in our lives, we'll go fly a kite. This is an entirely different way to think about leadership. I was never taught this because it's not repeatable. Every situation is one of its own. And I was taught patterns and principles and things that I could control. And so much of my life fits in that category. But there are seasons like the one we're in right now where it feels like somebody else has hold of the kite. And everything that we're planning isn't working. So we need other skills. One of those skills is discernment. I have to learn how to discern which way the wind is blowing and how strong. So when I sense that God is on the move in some area, I'm always trying to figure out where's he going and how fast. Because my tendency is to try to picture what he's doing and then say, it's okay, I got it from here. But I'm, I'm trying to learn how to move at the timing of God to seize opportunities that he is presenting instead of making my own opportunities. You remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul said, I was going to preach the gospel in Asia, but the Holy Spirit would not allow him to do it in verse six. And so he said, I decided instead that I would go into Mysia, but he said, the spirit of Jesus did not allow me to do it. <laughs> then Paul said, I fell asleep and I had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come on over to help us. So I woke up in the morning and I went over to help him and Lo and behold, there was a movement of the gospel in Macedonia translation I had a strategy for Asia 
plan A, and then I had a strategy for Mijah, plan B, but the Spirit said, come on over to me. The way to do this, perhaps, is to ask ourselves, what is the work of the Spirit? I am not trying to get the Spirit active in my work. I'm trying to figure out what is the Spirit's work in my job. There is something sacred about my job, whether I know it or not. And the Spirit knows exactly what it is. So part of discerning is stepping back and looking at my job, even if it seems secular, and saying, where is God moving? Where is their momentum? Where is the door of opportunity being opened to me? Another skill is preparation. I find that whenever the Holy Spirit is is moving in strong gusts in my life, those short seasons that I talked about, um, he's always doing something that is new and, and, and unpredictable. And, and yet I'm not nervous about it because my confidence is not in my preparation. And, and, and you, you guys, that's where my confidence is most of the time. You prepare and then you perform. Game over. But there's times when the whole thing takes a different turn. And I'm learning to have confidence in the power of God to bring this team or this organization or this family, this initiative that we're working on to the place where he wants it to go. But that place is never detached from my preparation. So this idea of saying, I just step back and let the spirit do whatever he wants to do and I just follow is wrong. Man, you gotta hold on to the kite. You have to know when to let some go and when to rein it in. Part of that is discernment and part of that is preparation. When I am in the spirit, from that place, I can reach almost any skill or knowledge that I've learned over the years. I can reach them from there and I can bring them to bear on the thing that God is doing in the moment. Well, you might be wondering, uh, what, what do I do with all this? How? How do I just start from scratch and start thinking about leading my family or my organization in the power of the Spirit instead of just in my plans and preparation? Here's a couple of places you might look to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. In other words, here's a few kites that the two of you might fly, God on one end and you on the other, using discernment and preparation. One of those kites is your giftedness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that God has given us by his spirit each different acts of service 
for the common good of the whole body. What he says is some of us have the, the gift of discernment uh, by the Spirit, others the gift of prophecy by that same Spirit, others the gift of faith, quote, by that same Spirit. It is one Spirit who hands out giftedness. And so the place where God is likely to move in your life with the strongest gusts of power is in the area of your giftedness. But you must not trap yourself by thinking that you have to find a gift that is in Paul's list in 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 or Ephesians 4. Those are samples, that's not a catalog. Ask yourself, what comes easier for me because of the Holy Spirit? What can I do just naturally that other people don't do as well? And you might've thought, well, that was talent or it might be the Holy Spirit. So for some of you, it's the gift of hospitality and others, it's the gift of leadership and for others, the gift of encouragement and for others, the gift of generosity. These are strange qualities and you're just really good at them. And so instead of trying to pigeonhole all that into about 12, 19, 26, however many spiritual gifts, just ask yourself, what's natural for me? And how do I develop that? How do I prepare and train it and nurture it and discipline it? so that when God wants to use it, I can reach any skill or knowledge that I've had up till then. Here's another one, your personality. God is more likely to work powerfully in your personality than he is in you acting like somebody else. Yet that is precisely what we do. We look to the front of the church and we see spiritual leaders. And the first thing we do is mimic their personality. Uh, and in the Wesleyan church, holiness always makes you nice. I mean, you sit up straight, wipe your mouth, say please and thank you. But it does almost nothing else. And so we grow up trying to be nice. And nice looks like the leader in front of us. We try to imitate. But the truth is, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. So as Paul says in Galatians chapter five, if we are led by the spirit, let us move in that spirit. People, these qualities look different in each personality. So please don't waste time trying to be somebody that you are not. Instead, Turn to the people around you and ask them to help you identify what the fruit of the Spirit looks like when it blows over your personality. Last, your work. 
every day. Tomorrow, for instance, you'll get up and go off to work. And you'll leave church in your mind and you'll go into something that feels very secular to you. Then you remember that Paul said, whatever you do, whether in word or deed. And by the way, he said this not to a room full of preachers. He said it to lay people like you. Whatever you do, whether you're running the cashier, you're working on the line, you're serving food to the guests, you're managing the home, you're standing in the bank, whatever you do, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father. And what you might find is that the Spirit has a work inside your job. Well, I think the place to begin then is with a few questions. I just want to list them for you. And then I'm going to close by praying over you as you gather in your homes. I don't know what comes next for you, but I hope somewhere today will be a discussion about this because I think you're going to need to mine out what the Spirit and His power is doing in your life and how you can fly things with Him. If that's true, these questions may help you. First, what is easier for you because of the Holy Spirit? All you're doing here is giving a specific ability that you have that you might have called talent or hard work, but you're starting to rethink that. Not everybody can do that, not the same way. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit. Identify that and celebrate what God is doing. Question number two, what might you try to do for God if you knew that you could not fail? This speaks of your risk and your courage. It speaks of things that you see needs done, but you're not quite sure you're good enough to do it. Now maybe you're starting to second guess that. You're thinking, if the spirit that was on Jesus is actually to my back and he makes everything easier, maybe I could try. So what is it? What would you do if you knew you could not fail? And three, as you think about your work tomorrow, what might you do better if you did it? Conscious of the Holy Spirit. <laughs>